Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 6. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. These are Christian one-liners. Don't let worry... Don't let your worries get the best of you. Remember, Moses started out as a basket case. <laughs> There's more. Some people are kind, polite, and sweet-spirited until you try to sit in their pew, or their seat in this case. Uh, it's easier to preach ten sermons than to live one. That's true. The good Lord didn't create anything without a purpose, but mosquitoes come close. <laughs> Amen. People are funny. They want the front of the bus, the middle of the road, and the back of the church. (laughs) Amen. Opportunity may knock once, but temptation bangs on the front door forever. Quit griping about your church. If it was perfect, you wouldn't belong. (laughs) Amen. If a church wants a better pastor, it only needs to pray for the one it has. Amen. Amen. Some minds are like concrete, thoroughly mixed up and permanently set. I don't know why some people change churches. What difference does it make which one you stay home from? (laughs) And the church said, ouch. (laughs) Be fishers of men. You catch them, he'll clean them. I like that one. Some other I'm skipping. Forbidden fruits create many jams. (laughs) I like that one. God doesn't call the qualify. He qualifies what? You know that God loves everybody, but preferably or probably prefers fruits of the spirit over religious nuts. <laughs> yeah. If God is your co-pilot, swap seats. <laughs> Amen. We don't change the message. The message changes us. The will of God will never take you where the grace of God won't keep you. Isn't that good? That's right downable. You ought to write that down. Let's write downable. The best math- uh, mathematical equation, the best mathematical equation I have ever seen, one cross plus three nails equal forgiven. I like that. One cross plus three nails equal forgiven. Enough. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to Second Samuel. Get your pen. Get your pad. Second Samuel. Chapter 6, 2 Samuel chapter 6, get your pad, get your pen, get your heart, Second Samuel chapter 6, Lord, we love you tonight, and Father, we just put your word before us, and Father, may we be obedient to your word and even learn tonight, Lord, that we could be doing, Lord, the right thing the wrong way. So, Father, we pray that you would uh, straighten us out, Lord, and may we just obey the word of God and avoid doing things the wrong way. 
Bless your people as we give ear to hear. Saints, come on, pray with me. Bless your people as we give ear to hear what the Spirit says to the church today, even as we talked about on Sunday, Father. May we not be an energetic church and yet lose our first love. Lord, please forgive us and, and restore us and, and fill us uh, with your spirit tonight, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people, only if you agree, I want you to say amen. 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 You got your pen? You got your pad? Second Samuel, you know, you know this already. If you've been with us on Wednesday night, show of hands. You've been with us on Wednesday night? Show of hands. Nice and high. Okay. That's a good number of you. Then you know that Second Samuel divides nicely into three main sections. Chapters 1 through 10, we find David's triumphs. Chapters 11 through 12, y'all keep up with me back there. Thank you. Chapters 11 through 12, David's trials. And chapters 13 through 24, David's troubles. Chapters 1 through 10, David's triumphs. Chapters 11 through 12, David's trials. And chapter 13 through 24 is David's troubles. Um, 2 Samuel, as I told you, is a book about David's 40-year reign as king. Look at chapter 5 and verse 7. Turn with me to chapter 5 and verse 7. Look at it. It tells us right there in chapter 5, 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 7. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So 40 years of reigning as king. In Hebron, seven and a half years, 33 years in Jerusalem. Look at uh, chapter 5 and verse 1. Chapter 5 and verse 1, if you were with us, you know. Chapter 5, verse 1 tells us all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron. David is about 37 years old at this time. This is 20 years after Samuel came to the house of Jesse looking for the Lord's anointed and found the little ruddy kid out in the fields with the shepherds. Remember that? Uh, all the tribes, the Bible says, came to David. David didn't go get them. David's not out campaigning to be king. David wasn't out rounding them up. All the tribes came to David, which tells us that this is something that the Lord is doing. And then look at verse 3. The tribes came and they anointed David king of Israel at Hebron. I told you that this is the third. If you don't have it written in your margin, write it in your margin. This is the third anointing of David in the book of Samuel. The first anointing, well, he was anointed by Samuel, remember, around the age of 15 to 17 years old. And then the second anointing, Judah anointed him king in Hebron. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 2. And then the third anointing is right here as the nation comes to anoint their king. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, if you were with me last time, we went there and we read it. And we, we noticed and learned that over 340,000 warriors from all over the country came to Hebron for this anointing ceremony. Now, last time we saw that David had conquered the city of Jerusalem that was occupied by the Jebusites, remember? Keep in mind that Israel has always been trying to drive out the Jebusites. And the Jebusites, they thought that they were invincible. The Jebusites thought that there's no way that anybody can drive us out. And so they had like blind people and lame people and weak people um, stationed at the gate because they thought, you know, we're so tough, we don't even have to put our best men on the front of, you know, on the front line, on the gate to keep people out. So the Jebusites always occupied uh, Jerusalem until David was king. 
And when David became king and they anointed David king, then, then, then all of that came to an end. Uh, verse 7, look at chapter 5 in verse 7. You notice the word in verse 7, nevertheless. You see it in verse 7, nevertheless. Nevertheless, after a hundred years of the Jebusite occupation, just like that, nevertheless, one word, just like that, David took the city. In verse 9, he called it the city of David. And David continued to grow great as king. If you were with us last time in chapter 5, you know this. David continued to grow great as king in the eyes of the people and the nations around him. And he began to, uh, the nations around began to take note. Look at verse 11. Hiram, the king of Tyre honored David with big, beautiful cedar trees. You've heard of the cedars of Lebanon, the cedars of Lebanon. He gave him these big, beautiful Lebanon trees, and he sent carpenters and masons, and they built David a place in Jerusalem. And so the Philistines, they also heard that David was king, and they wanted to fight in the valley of Rephaim. If you're with me, you know this. And David has learned his lesson about going to battle without asking God. Well, verse 19 in chapter 5, David asked the Lord, and God said, go up. God said, go, and I will doubtless, that means no big deal, deliver the Philistines into your hands. Look at verse uh, 19, yeah. I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. And then in verse 20, David went to Baal-perazim, or Baal-perazim, and defeated them there. I told you Baal Perazim, if you're taking notes, means the master of breakthroughs. And we talked about breakthroughs the last time we were together. The Philistines, if you missed that teaching, you can pick up a copy of the CD in the bookstore. The Philistines won the fight again. So in verse 23 of chapter 5, David inquired of the Lord again, and God gives them a different battle strategy, gives them a different battle strategy. And they defeated the Philistines at Geba, as far as Gezer, that's where we left off last time. We pick up in chapter 6. In this chapter, we're going to learn, listen, you can do the right thing the wrong way. You can do the right thing. This is what we learned from chapter 6. It's real easy. I'm giving it to you early. We can do the right thing the wrong way. You can have the right motive with the wrong method. Right motive, wrong method. Right thing, wrong way. You'll see what I'm talking about in just a minute. Second Samuel chapter 6, saints, we pick up in verse 1. If you're looking at verse 1, say amen. amen. And again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there, the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart, underline that please, on a new cart and bought it out of the house of Abinadad, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadad, drove the new cart. And they bought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord 
on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. Why? For the oxen stumbled. Well, then the anger of the Lord was against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day in verse 9, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. But David took it aside in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. How many months, saints? Uh-huh, 90 days. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with, with gladness. And so it was. When those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Stay with me. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod, or his underwear. So David, in Hebrew, so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Let's stop right there, saints. Give me your attention, if you will. At this point, David is the anointed, recognized king of Israel. He's been successful in taking back Jerusalem after many years. Jerusalem, remember, are y'all listening to me? Look at me, please. Jerusalem is the political, spiritual capital of the nation. So David's done some great things already, but in his heart, there's still something missing. What's that? The presence of God or the Ark of God or the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was central to the life of Israel, was central to the people of Israel. In their minds, listen, if the ark of God was missing or the ark of God was not present, then in their minds, God wasn't present. If the ark of God wasn't present, then in their minds, um, something spiritual was lacking. It just wasn't right that the physical, tangible ark of the covenant was not in their possession. Now, as you read chapter 6, the ark, if you've noticed, the ark was mentioned, you didn't count, but the ark was mentioned 15 times in 17 verses. Approximately 11 of the Psalms were written with the ark of God in mind. So that tells us that David had a passion for the ark and it was important to him. David knew where God was and David knew where God was not. And David knew the way to approach God was through the ark. The ark, are y'all getting this? The ark was symbolic of a mediator between God and man. Just like Jesus is the mediator between God and man. 
the ark is symbolically that mediator. So David in verse 1, he gathers 30,000 men of the best men of Israel to go get the ark, which was in the house of Obed-Edom. Now, before we go any further, let me tell you a bit about the ark. Again, the ark of the covenant symbolized the presence of God among his people. The Ark of the Covenant was located, you know, inside the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant was like a box, and it was 45 by 27 by 27. It was made of acacia wood. It was overlaid with pure gold. On each corner of the Ark were these rings made of acacia wood, overlaid with pure gold. And through these rings were these poles made of acacia wood. I don't think they were pure gold. I, I, I honestly have overlay with pure gold. I have to check that. But they were acacia wood, I know that. And these rings went through uh, four, four corners of the ark. These rings went, you know, just kind of parallel like that so as to be able to carry the ark. The ark of the covenant, you know, was located in the tabernacle. You know, if you've been here at Calvary, you know the tabernacle house has how many compartments? Okay, y'all, I'm saying two, not peace, all right? Some of y'all look like, yeah, he's saying peace. Yeah, peace, brother, peace. No, two, two. We're going to try that again, all right? The Ark of the Covenant has how many compartments? There you go, thank you. It has the holy place and the most holy place. While the people moved, get this, from place to place while they traveled in the wilderness, uh, they would pack up the tabernacle, so you have the whole tabernacle, and then you have, and they would set it up, the holy place and the most holy place. And then between the holy place and the most holy place was the veil of the temple. The veil of the temple was 18 inches thick. Um, and then behind the veil was the most holy place, and in that place was the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. The Ark of the Covenant is just a box. The two winged angels that sit on top of the mercy seat, on top of the Ark of the Covenant, facing each other, they, that, that's called the mercy seat. That is behind the veil of the temple. And hovering over the mercy seat was the Shekinah glory of God, or the visible presence of God. So interesting, the people, when they moved... Wherever they move to, as they move into the wilderness, they take down the entire tabernacle. They would move, journey, get to a location, set it up again. Holy place, most holy place, they'll the temple, put the ark back in place, and then the visible presence of God, this cloud, this Shekinah glory of God, would then come into the temple and hover over the mercy seat. This is why the people of God felt very close to the Ark of the Covenant, because it really was the presence of God dwelling among them uh, everywhere they went. So the tabernacle, they traveled everywhere they went. It was like a mobile uh, tabernacle. Now, here's the fa fascinating part. Numbers chapters 1 and 2, and I want you to write that down, read it in your own time. Numbers chapters 1 and 2, as they moved this portable tabernacle, the tribe and, uh, camped out and they set up. Now, here's where I need you to stay with me. They set up in specific order, north, south, east, and west. And on each side were three tribes. On the east side was Judah. 
Along with Judah, there were two other tribes, Issachar and Zebulun. The ensign or the flag for Judah, anybody know, was the, you know that because Jesus in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, tells us that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. When Jesus comes back, notice that the east, this is the east, Judah is on the east side. When Jesus comes back, the Bible says he's coming back on the east and he's coming back through the east gate. You know that. So Judah is on the east side. Now I want you to write this down if you don't have it written down. Judah's on the east side. On the west side is Ephraim or Ephraim. Along with Ephraim is Manasseh and Benjamin. And the symbol of Ephraim was the ox. On the south side was the tribe of Reuben. Along with Reuben are Gad and Simeon. Uh, the symbol or the ensign flag was that of the face of a man. And on the north side was Dan. And along with Dan is Naphtali and Asher. And the ensign or the flag was the eagle. Now the tribe of Levi, listen, was the priestly tribe. And the priestly tribe or the Levitical tribe was to surround the tabernacle. In other words, the Levites were to be the servants of God and they needed to camp closest to the tabernacle or closest to the glory of God. Why? Because they served God. So get the scene. I'm going somewhere. Stay with me. Get the scene. You have tribes to the north, tribes in the south, tribes in the east and tribes in the west. And in the center is the tabernacle. And inside the tabernacle is the Ark of the Covenant. On each of the sides, north, south, east, and west, on each of the sides, the first tribe, if they lined up in, say, tents of four. Are y'all staying with me so far? If they lined I know it's a little technical, but you'll get this. You'll love this. If they lined up in tents of four, so you got four, and then you might have, you know, uh, 4,000 rows back, you know, tents. And they lined up in tents of four. The first line of tents was the Levi's on each side. The first line was Levi, okay? And that's because the Levi, the tribe of Levi, was the priestly tribe, and they needed to serve the Lord. There's a sermon in there. Uh, we don't have time to go into it. But here's what I want you to note. The largest number of the people camped on the east side and the smallest number of people encamped on the west side and almost an equal number of people on the north and the south side. So if you were to take an aerial view, here it all is, listen, tied up right here. If you were to take an aerial view of the setup of the children of Israel as they wander and set up the tents and set up the tabernacle, if you took an aerial view and you looked down, you would see the cross. Isn't that interesting? God looks down upon his people and he sees the cross. Already in the Old Testament, we see a picture of the cross, keeping in mind that crucifixion was not a Jewish thing. Crucifixion was invented by the Persians and perfected by the Romans. The Jews' form of capital punishment was stoning. But already, which I find fascinating, 
already God is giving us a picture of the cross already in the Old Testament before the cross was ever invented. Now, one more thing, and then we move on. Numbers chapter 23 and 24, the prophet Balaam, don't you remember him? The prophet Balaam, remember he was hired by Balak to put a curse on God's people, Israel. So he goes up on this high mountain so that he could look down on God's people, and his job was to curse them. But every time he went up on the mountain to curse them, he wind up blessing them. So he goes up on the mountain. The people are encamped, remember, in the form of a cross. So they get up on the mountain. He gets up on the mountain. He looks down on the people, and what he sees is the cross. So every time he tries to curse them, he goes, I bless you people in the name of the Lord. Why am I saying that? I've been hired to curse these people. Why is this coming out of my mouth? So then he would go to another side of the mountain and he would see the cross. And he tries it again. You know, this time it's going to work. It really is going to work. I love you people and you're the best God's people on the planet Earth. He's like, what am I saying? Where he was supposed to curse them, he winds up blessing them. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.